I'm Nadia, dietitian and certified intuitive eating counsellor, and welcome to Good Enough Nutrition, the podcast, a space where we chat all about nutrition and well-being, intuitive eating, body image, and a sprinkle of all things periods and hormones. I'm here to remind you that guilt has no place near our food or bodies, and that you are good enough, as you are, always. So let's dig in. Hello, my cool cucumbers. Thank you for being here and welcome back to Nadia Maxwell Nutrition. Today's podcast is a bit of a deviation from normal programming. So usually I'm talking all about nutrition, but today I'll be talking a little bit about why I am studying clinical hypnotherapy. I've decided I'm going to let you in on my slightly woo-woo side, but Really, when I talk you through understanding the science behind hypnosis, it's it's actually not that woo-woo at all. (laughs) So don't worry, I'm not going to be talking about astrology or human design quite yet, but I will talk you all things why I'm studying clinical hypnotherapy. So today I'm going to chat about what actually got me interested in hypnosis, what it actually is and how it works. Uh, why hypnosis needs a bit of a rebrand and my favorite part of using hypnosis. But before that, as usual, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that's been lighting me up recently. And over the past kind of few weeks, I've been trying to find some new non-work related hobbies If any of you listening own your own business, you will know that it is pretty all-consuming. It's hard to not think about work when when you're so invested. And it's been a little while since I have done a non-work-related hobby that I really love. Like I, I got into sewing for a little while and, you know, sometimes I'll do baking or cooking. But honestly, my attention span is so short for those things. I just get bored of it quite quickly. So I was thinking back to what I used to like as a kid and when I was younger I was actually a really big fan of fashion and styling. I think back to there's this one photograph of me when I was around six and it's you know I was very lucky because mum let us dress ourselves I would imagine there was a bit of (laughs) my stubborn protest when she tried to dress us but so I think she probably gave up and let us dress ourselves and there's this picture of me out in the paddock in in my gumboots with these white lace tights which are underneath (laughs) a pale green one piece togs uh, with this like bright pink flower in the middle And I just remember being so pleased with myself, thinking I was, you know, a little fashionista. And I, yeah, so I thought back to that time and I was like, you know what? I did used to love fashion and styling and I'm kind of in that place where, you know, you have clothes in your wardrobe, but you feel as if you have nothing to wear. So I jumped on YouTube, looked up, gosh, I can't even remember what I looked up, something like personal style. And I found a stylist by the name of Alison Bornstein and she's wonderful. She, I think her style is very accessible um, and she, I think, is best known for what she calls the three-word method. So the three-word method is where you choose three words that really encapsulate your personal style. 
and she gives guidance on choosing each of those three words and there's a few videos on YouTube where she does it with other people. So the first word is, it has to be the realistic word. So this is what, you know, you would tend to go for on a daily basis in terms of what you wear. Like you can have all this, you know, these grand plans of what you want to wear, but then the realistic word is what you actually wear. And what she says is it can be really helpful to ask someone else what they, how, how they would describe your style in one word. Um, So that's the realistic one. The second word is your aspirational word. So this is the grand plans. This is what you want your style to be like. And then the third word is your emotional word. So how you want to feel when you're dressed. And so I decided to give it a go. She's got this great um, little kind of word wheel on Instagram where you can, which helps to, helps you to choose your words. And I, yeah, chose my three words. So first up for my realistic word, I asked my partner, how would you describe my fashion? And he actually did a wonderful job. He chose a word that encapsulates it really well. And the word word he came up with was drapey. So I think another way you might describe that would be oversized or baggy. (laughs) But I felt like drapey actually fit my style really well well because you know I do like say things like oversized blazers or baggy jeans but I also like kind of that drapey dress look as well so my first realistic word is drapey now before I move on I always want to acknowledge my privilege as someone in a smaller body and my ability to actually access and wear oversized clothes I actually really hate the fact that so many clothes stores, this really grinds my gears. So, so many clothes stores don't stock clothes in a big enough size. So they might go up to something like size 18 and think that that's adequate. But what pisses me off is when, you know, it becomes in vogue or in fashion to then wear oversized clothes, all of a sudden they might make a blazer in size 18 but it's actually you know a size 22 or 26 because of the oversized nature of it and it's like well you know you're clearly showing that you can make bigger clothes why the hell are you only doing it when oversize is in vogue like that's not good enough anyway that's a little bit of a ramble but yes so my first word is drapey my second word is elegant so this is very much my aspirational word and my third word I was struggling to choose I'm kind of still haven't quite decided but it's somewhere between 70s and flirty and with your words the key is is that they can mean different things to different people like what is elegant for me might be different for someone else what is flirty for me might be very different for someone else so it's really uh, the three words that you choose are, are really individual and personal to you so what I did after going through her whole TikTok feed and Instagram feed and YouTube is I um, spent half a day in my closet clearing out some of the clothes that no longer I no longer feel aligned with and styling the ones that I do and what I found is that when I would put on an outfit that I 
that I like, but it feels like, you know, it's something missing. I found that it's always one of my words that were missing. And when I brought that word into it through yeah, changing an item of clothing or maybe adding some earrings or a handbag or changing the shoes, it really just hit the spot so much better. For me, it was often the elegant word that was missing. But occasionally it would be one of the other words. So for example, say if I had like a nice kind of business top on, my go my normal would be to pair it with some tailored kind of business pants. And then what I realize is, oh, okay, well, I'm actually missing that drapey element, um, which is really kind of personal to me and what I enjoy wearing so then if I kind of swapped out the pants for something a little bit looser or chucked on an oversized blazer that really felt more like me and all of a sudden I am much more in love with my wardrobe again than I have been in a long time and I actually think it's probably going to help me shop more mindfully as well rather than just kind of choosing items that I'm drawn to in the moment it might make me feel a little bit more conscious of how it's going to how it fits in with my three words and how it might fit in with some of the other items I own so that's what's been lighting me up I will as usual post a carousel of images and link to the the wheel of words that I mentioned as well as the three word method by Alison Bornstein and I would love to know what your three words are if you give it a go all right Let's shift over into talking all about why I'm studying hypnotherapy. If you'd asked me about hypnosis three years ago, I would have felt like probably most people feel and what would have come to mind would have been, you know, a stage hypnotist, making a fool out of people, getting them to cluck like a chicken or bark like a dog on stage or, you know, fall asleep at the click of a finger but over the past few years, I've actually become a lot more open to the idea of hypnosis. And uh, what kind of first got me thinking more about it was when I did a course on eating disorders and digestive health. And during that course, the uh, presenter, she's a wonderful dietitian in the United States, Marcy Evans, she spoke about one research study which compared gut-directed hypnotherapy with the low FODMAP diet. And so they, so the study had three groups. They had a group doing gut-directed hypnotherapy for six weeks, a group doing low FODMAP, and a group doing both. And what they found is that after the six weeks, all of the groups had very similar uh, level of improvements, like around that 70% or so, which is quite good. And what's more is that at the sixth month mark, when they followed up after six months, they found that mo all of the groups sustained that improvement, but the group that did gut-directed hypnotherapy alone actually had greater improvements in their anxiety and depression. And hearing that study, like you will, you will all know that I'm obviously a big fan of talking about our relationship with food and prioritizing that in whatever we do. And I personally as well have had some issues with digestive symptoms and long, long ago, back when I was studying, I actually did the low heat FODMAP diet myself. And what I found is that it was not great, did not do positive things for my relationship with food and actually created a lot of fear around high FODMAP foods. 
And so based on my own experience, but also experiences of many clients that I've seen, if I can, I will try and avoid doing any elimination diets. And don't get me wrong, I do think there's a place for looking at food intolerances and maybe doing more of a, lo- a simplified low FODMAP um, or, you know, uh, really tailoring what the person needs to their symptoms and look when we're looking at food and food intolerances. But if there is an option to be able to support someone through gut-directed hypnotherapy to get similar improvements, then I am all for it. So that's initially what got me thinking about, oh, okay, hypnosis, hypnotherapy might be a wonderful tool to add to my toolbox. And then as the universe tends to, it sent me another nudge and um, in the form of a colleague of mine who's a wonderful psychologist. And so she does a lot of work in the endometriosis space. And she had actually just done a hypnotherapy course in 2022. And I was like, oh, how interesting. I'm really interested in that. And then kind of the final nail in the coffin (laughs) was when I was looking more into hypnosis and what it involves, I actually realized that I had been doing self-hypnosis for over a year. So I do, I'd been doing kind of like a meditation course, a kind of manifestation practice, and it involves hypnosis recordings. I just thought it was a guided meditation initially, but then looking into uh, techniques, hypnotic techniques, I was realized, oh, when I'm doing these, I'm actually going into trance and using hypnosis to support the changes. And because I'd found doing that so beneficial, it, that was really what kind of pushed me over to the edge to go, okay, I think this is actually going to be a wonderful tool in my toolbox and maybe it's something that I should study. When I thought more and more about it, it's not just gut-directed hypnotherapy that I thought would be useful, but because what I find is that generally when it comes to talking about relationship with food and body, like people generally know what to do. Like it's not, the, it's not a knowledge gap that people are experiencing when they come to see me usually like there might be the odd um, pieces of wisdom I can impart or knowledge or skills but usually there's some underlying beliefs that make change really difficult and what I was finding is that you know once I'd imparted some knowledge and skills people would make changes and see improvements but it would take a really long time and sometimes those changes were not sustained and I could just feel myself feeling stuck having these conscious conversations about a person's relationship with food or their body and not actually getting to the deeper stuff, to the subconscious beliefs that were blocking the change. What I realized is that hypnosis is a wonderful tool that can support us to shift those underlying beliefs and therefore make the changes that we want to make. And so that can be used, used, like I said, for the gut, for pain, but also for a relationship with food and body. I want to talk you through what hypnosis actually is so you can understand it a little bit more deeply. So I tend to describe hypnosis as a bit like a guided meditation if you've ever been to yoga and lay down in shavasana afterwards and then the teacher will talks you through kind of like a guided meditation and you're feeling super relaxed and in flow it's 
quite likely you're in trance (laughs) at that point. So it's very similar to that. And there are different ways of doing hypnosis with people. You can kind of do a script um, with them and guide it in that way. So the person is going through their own experience internally, or it can be quite conversational where you support them in and out of trance, um, guiding the conversation with questions that support change or support them to access their subconscious. So, like I said, it's like a guided meditation, but the difference with hypnosis is that we're actually choosing to go into a trance-like state or a hypnotic state. Now, that's the part that often people find sounds sound quite woo-woo, but it's important to know that we actually go into a trance-like state so often in our daily lives. You know, it's a state of awareness that's really normal to the human condition. And the trance-like state is pretty much when we have this uh, focused, high level of alertness, but we're also really relaxed. Like normally if we're highly focused and alert, we're stressed and not relaxed, but in a trance-like state, we are actually relaxed at the same time. And it's actually a really beautiful state to be in. If you've ever been really absorbed in a good book or a movie when you're relaxed, you're not analyzing it, but you actually kind of feel like you're in it. That is a hypnotic state. That's a trance state. And it's also more common when we're going from wakefulness to sleep or, or sleep to wake. So the difference here is that we're actually choosing to go into trance to help to solve a problem like stress or anxiety or overthinking or symptoms. So rather than, you know, just going to sleep or escaping into a good book or movie, which are all very important and wonderful things, (laughs) we're actually choosing to go into that state to use it to our advantage, to help to address our underlying beliefs and and, uh, change for the better. To understand how it actually works in the brain, there's some really great research done under fMRI or functional MRI where they can actually see brain changes in hypnosis or hypnotic states, um, which I won't go through in any depth, but if you're interested, I can do another podcast on what actually happens in the brain. But really, um, to put it in more simplistic terms, to understand how it works it can be really helpful to understand neuroplasticity. That is the ability to change our brain and rewire our neural pathways. Many people are aware that that problems in life, like anxiety or overthinking, like they seem to happen automatically. Like it's not something that we're choosing to do. Like we don't choose to feel anxious when we get up to do a speech or or speak out in a meeting and we don't choose to overthink a you know say we had a social interaction that didn't go like we wanted it to and then we end up overthinking we don't choose to do that it just happens it's very automatic so with neuroplasticity if that automatic behavior isn't something that we're stoked with then we can change it by changing our neural pathways and rewriting that automatic response in order to be able to change our neural pathways, we actually need two things. Firstly, we need to be highly focused or uh, learning something new or, or seeing something in a new way. So an example of this might be when we're you know, highly focused and flow when we're studying or when we're, say, in therapy and we're getting like a new perspective on things. So that's number one. 
Secondly, we need to have a period of rest or relaxation or sleep. After we've done our learning or unlearning, the rest or relaxation or sleep actually helps the brain to then make the changes to that neural architecture to actually change the neural pathways in our brain. Now, the interesting thing is that with hypnosis, we can actually do both of these at the same time. The changes in our brain when we're in a hypnotic state allow us to be in that state of focused, getting a new point of view by accessing our subconscious and doing so while we're super relaxed. So we're rewriting those old beliefs or patterns in a really relaxed state, which then allows that acceleration in neuroplasticity. And an example would be like if you think about a time you've ever had kind of like a eureka moment in the shower or in the bath, you know, a time that you're usually, you know, uh, in flow, kind of but alert, you know, you're not asleep (laughs) in the shower bath, hopefully, (laughs) then, but you're also very relaxed. And then eureka, you have a moment where um, something kind of changes in your brain or you have a, a new realization that's pretty much what is happening when we're in hypnosis and because we're doing both at the same time like I said we're doing the the focused um, but being relaxed it can happen nice and quickly and I think that's what's appealing to a lot of people who seek out hypnosis is that changes can often be more rapid than if we're just kind of trying to change things from that conscious level All right, so that's neuroplasticity and that's um, what hypnosis is and how it works. The other thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that hypnosis has a bit of a branding problem, you know, and like I said before, I think that's owed to how we think about hypnosis in terms of stage hypnotists and how they will get people on stage to act silly and bark like a dog. Um, and you know, it's interesting because if, if I were to say to someone, do you want to learn how to go into a focused and relaxed state and use it to solve challenges in your life? Most people would be like, yeah, sign me up. I can solve challenges where I can improve anxiety while being relaxed cool (laughs) um but then if I were to say do you want to do that by using hypnosis people would often you know be afraid they get this look of skepticism across their face and they're like oh my gosh don't you dare hypnotize me (laughs) and so I think the issue with how we understand hypnosis is is this fear of this loss of power or loss of control. It's like someone else is doing something to me that I don't have control over. And that is obviously a very scary thing to experience. And I I hope no one experiences that, right? And why I say it's got a bit of a branding problem is because often that's what stage hypnotists lead you to believe is that they have control over your mind, right? But that's not at all the case. What the research actually shows is that you can't be made to do anything you don't want to do when you're under hypnosis. Uh, So there's, I haven't actually read it, but I've heard about it, a study where they asked um, people under hypnosis to do certain things. And when there was something that came up that the person didn't want to do, like getting undressed, they just won't do it. (laughs) They're entirely within control the whole time. 
And so Dr. David Spiegel, who's a really well-known psychiatrist and hypnotherapist who works in the space and does a lot of research at Stanford, I think, uh, he says that you're actually gaining control because it allows you to get unstuck from your old beliefs and see something from a new point of view, or which is very hard to do otherwise. So he he often terms hypnosis in the way that we're gaining control rather than losing it. The second point is that often, like I said, people think that hypnosis is something that is done to them, but contrary to that, all hypnosis is actually something that we do to ourselves. And that is why hypnosis actually works so much better on people that believe in it and expect it to work than it does on people that don't. It's because they're self-guiding that hypnosis. And like I said before, like my introduction to hypnosis without me knowing was actually during recording. So I was actually doing it to myself. And I think that's really important to understand. And one of the things I love about it is because it's you're building skills that you can use lifelong because it's something you have within you already. And that that speaks to probably one of my favorite things about hypnosis, and that is that it rests on the foundation that each and every one of us has the inner resources to heal. We all have a wise or authentic or higher self that knows exactly what we need. It Often people aren't tapped into it, but hypnosis can be something that helps us to tap into it. And as a hypnotherapist or a budding hypnotherapist, that's something that I love because I do truly believe that. I believe that every person has exactly what they need within them. And it is truly amazing to watch. If I think about like dietetics training, we were told to position ourselves as an as the expert. And the more I've worked with people with lived experience, the more uncomfortable I've really felt with that positioning. Like, yes, like I said before, I may have knowledge I can impart or skills I can teach, but it's actually only when people I work with can connect with their own intuition and needs and desires and knowing if or when or how to apply that knowledge or those skills, that's only when the true healing takes place. And I know this as well from doing hypnosis on myself. You know, like I said, I listen to a recording. So of course the person speaking has no idea what's happening internally for me. And yet I can access my subconscious and shift beliefs and find healing with all the inner resources I have. Similarly, when I've done hypnosis with clients, it feels really weird to me because I normally know what's going on in their minds because they talk to me about it but I actually don't have to know what's going on in their mind and body when they're in trance when they're in flow because they are just accessing their own inner resources for healing yes I love it when afterwards people tell me a little bit about their experience if they want to but I actually don't have to know it for it to work because I trust that people have everything they need within themselves to heal and like anything, like there are there are contraindications where hypnosis might not be appropriate under certain circumstances. So if someone's, for instance, is suicidal or has any psychosis as part of their medical history, then, you know, a good hypnotherapist will always screen for that and yeah, abide by, the, I guess, those contraindications and only use it when it's safe. Also being like a trauma-informed practitioner myself, it, I felt it really important for me to do like a legitimate 
course, you know, not just a two-day certificate to ensure that I was getting quality guidance on how to make it safe for people I'm working with. And, you know, I finish up in December, but I'm beginning to integrate hypnosis into my practice whenever a client is open and suitable to it. Um, Yeah, it's been really fun. So I really just want to close this episode with the message, that core message which is why I love hypnosis so much, is that that message that you have all the internal resources you need to heal. And hypnosis might just be a really interesting avenue to support you to connect with those internal resources and hopefully get the the desired outcome. If you found this episode interesting, please let me know if you want to hear more. I know it's a deviation from the norm, but I'm really keen to hear what you think. Um, So hit me up over on Instagram at Nadia Maxwell Nutrition or send me an email, hello at NadiaMaxwell.com. Thank you all for being here. I love you all and I will see you later. Thank you so much for listening to Good Enough Nutrition. If you have thoughts or questions from today's episode, hit me up over on my Instagram at Nadia Maxwell Nutrition. If you have a moment to rate or review the podcast, that would be amazing. Or share that you're listening on your stories and tag me. I absolutely love to see it. As always, remember that guilt has no place near our food or bodies and you are good enough as you are always. Thank you.